Tappers, welcome in to the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap, presented to you by Tapping the Keg Sports. Yes, we've changed our name. We are now Tapping the Keg Sports. Hopefully, you guys get used to it. It's going to take some time, I know, but you'll be there. You'll get you'll get past the Snow Tap WI. I know you love it, but we're going to get through it. We'll get it all together, and we'll be good to go as the year goes on. We have a loaded show just like we did yesterday. We're going to talk all about free agency. We're going to go Bobby Portis, PJ Tucker, Semi Ojale. That is the order we are going to talk about the Bucks pickups and obviously Tucker departing for Miami. We will talk about Greg Gard versus Orlando Tucker. I think one of the craziest stories of 2021 for the state of Wisconsin. I feel like we're approaching like Mount Rushmore of crazy stories with Tucker versus guard. So we'll talk about that. Lastly, we'll talk about the Brewers versus COVID. A little bit on their win against Pittsburgh Pirates yet again on Monday night because that's all the Brewers do is win against Pittsburgh Pirates. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and their free agent signings and decisions that they made against not signing P.J. Tucker. But we start by Portis. So Bob Portis returns to the Milwaukee Bucks on a two-year, $9 million deal. He did not take the mid-level exception. It is still available for someone to take, and I'm sure the Bucks will find somebody to take that mid-level exception. I am very excited for Bobby Portis's return. I'm just stoked that he is coming back to be a Milwaukee Buck. I think if you listened to us last week, even yesterday, I wasn't convinced that Bobby Portis would be on this team next year. I thought the Bucks would maybe move on or not necessarily move on, just couldn't pay him. And apparently Portis turned down less money or more money from Miami and Dallas, who both were in pursuit of the Bucks power forward, but Portis decided to come back to Milwaukee and as he said, run this ship back again. And it makes sense, right? Bobby Portis was a winner for the first time in his career. Bobby Portis experienced something here that I don't know if he has experienced ever, honestly. Because even at Arkansas, granted, top recruit, was SEC Player of the Year. He was beloved in Arkansas. Still is probably beloved in Arkansas. But in the pros, he was kind of smacked down to earth. It just did not sort of work out the way it it should have or the way that I think Bobby Portis planned when he was dreaming about the NBA playing at for the Razorbacks. Then the Bucks came along. And the Bucks came along and showed Bobby Portis what life could be like and showed him how to be a winner and the fans fed off his energy and he was put into the hallowed fan favorite hall of fame of niger morgan of john coon um and that was who bobby portis was and that he would always be in that sort of lore of great sort of Wisconsin athletes, no matter if he left this year. I don't think anyone would have cared if Bobby Portis would have decided to leave. But now that he's back on a two-year deal and the deal has a player option so next year he can get his bird rights and then make a lot more money from the Bucks. Now, the Bucks and birds bird rights are not exactly friends to this year, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But so Bobby Portis played this really well. Bobby Portis believes that he can... In, keep increasing his value and I don't blame him right he just thrived with a year playing with Giannis Antetokounmpo what's to say that Giannis Antetokounmpo will not get better 
What's to say that this team with more practice and a normal ass schedule will actually be better next year? Oh yeah, I'm going to squad that take a little bit. It's just an early take to get out there. But they're going to all sort of develop more and more. And even though they got the job done, there is a chance that the Bucks could repeat. And so getting Bobby Portis on this team is a great decision by John Horst and crew and not using the mid-level exception to have a little more money to spend on another free agent is a very savvy move by John Horst. And that was a good good idea by the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't really understand how they convinced Bobby, how they made this work with Portis, but Bobby got on board and said, all right, let's go. Here's what I'm looking to do, and I want to be a Buck again. And the guy just loves this city. And I think someone said it. I, I saw so many tweets today. I kind of a little bit drunk on Twitter this evening, I'll admit. Um Someone said, like, the fans deserve credit for bringing Bobby back. And I I actually have to agree with it. Like, the Bobby chance, like, down the stretch and knowing how loved this fucking guy was, I think has to play into a reason why you want to stay with this team. Again, is Miami going to give you that? Is Dallas going to give you that? Maybe. But it's going to take some time. And Bobby just knew that this is home. And sometimes that's just all you need as a player. And even though Portis talked about Ryan Rossillo last week, which is kind of fascinating to look back on, where he really sounded like he was going to take a big paycheck and go somewhere else. And he changed his mind. And his mind changed and said, you know what? I don't want to go anywhere else. What am I doing? I need to stay here and continue on. Probably worked with his agent and said, how can we make this profitable for me? And his agent said, well, we'll lock you in. We'll get you your bird rights. And then once you have your bird rights, we can make you more money next year. And maybe Bobby's locked in and he's a buck for a long time, right? The bird rights are a use it or lose it type situation for the Bucks and any other team in the NBA. So they could easily get Bobby, give Bobby money and bring Bobby back yet again for another year if that's the route they decide to go. And, and I'm stoked for it. I'm stoked for him. And I think another year of Bobby's only going to do better. I think that he and Mike Budenholzer will work in more sync together. I think there were times where there was a little bit of a disconnect here and there with what Coach Bud wanted to do versus what Bobby Portis did on the court. It didn't happen always, but there were certain matchups where Bobby just didn't work. Obviously, the Brooklyn uh, series is an example, and we'll be in- I'll be interested to see when they play Brooklyn in the three games or four games that they'll play this season, how much Portis they're going to use, and if they actually use him more to try to figure out what is his role against this big three, or who knows, maybe they only have two guys playing, maybe they have one guy playing. The Nets, are, I think, will forever be weird, so I'm never going to think that Brooklyn is just going to look like the exact same team. And for the haters and losers that say, hey, Charlie, you had a D at the end of Brooklyn. Yeah, I do. It's my, it's unfortunately a bad dialect. I don't even know what it would be. Would you say it's a speaking deficiency? I don't know. I do it with a lot of things like Dublin, like it's the L-I-N. I just add a D, unfortunately, if I don't think about it. I did it once correctly, but it's Brooklyn. So there you go. Brooklyn. 
Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a big thing to watch, right? Are they going to be able to figure out what Bobby's role is going to be when you're playing a team like the Nets? And I also, too, like, I don't know, maybe he saw this, maybe he didn't. But he's like, am I the Jay Crowder of sort of the, the Bucks, right? Like, Jay Crowder had sort of the, he played with the Heat, now I played with the Suns, and went to two straight finals. And, like, he's like, why can't I do that? Why can't I just go back with the Bucks and we can go back to the finals? Instead of trying to chase a ring and bring that mentality to Miami or bring that mentality to Dallas, like, is that really going to work? Also, do I really want to deal with Jimmy Butler's bullshit? I think they cross paths in Chicago. Um, do, do I want to deal with that? I don't know. Um, and Dallas, Luka? Luka's a lot different than, than Giannis. Like, Luka looks out for Luka. And Giannis, I think, does look out for his teammates. And I, I just feel like you're going to see a big pendulum swing with the Giannis Lucas stuff this year, um, just given all the hype, all the stuff around Giannis this offseason. But yeah, I, I love Bobby being here. I'm so happy that Bobby Portis is a buck. And I think it's only going to pay off more dividends for not only him, but also the team. Moving on to PJ Tucker. Okay, so this one's a little tougher to talk about, if we're being honest. P.J. Tucker, not a buck. Um, very surprised. I am stunned, actually. When I saw the news, it really sort of shook me to the core. And I don't know why. Because I had heard from somebody who I knew and trust that said he talked to P.J. directly. And P.J. basically said he didn't really like to live in Milwaukee. I know that's hard to hear. And you, and you know you saw the party he put on after winning a championship. And he was among the people and he was put into legendary status as well same with portis but in reality he didn't really like the cold here and and he didn't really like the lack of nightlife here even though you would see pj out at casablanca lucid silk like the guy had a legendary run he took the crown from john henson who used to be club guy of the year for the milwaukee bucks that belonged to pj tucker but PJ, in this same conversation, was like, I might live in Chicago if I resign here. Like, I don't know if I can live a full NBA year here in Milwaukee. I might just get a house in Chicago and just drive up for practice and games and then just drive back down on off days. That was on the table for PJ, okay? So let's not, let's just be careful here. I know it's really, really easy to blame ownership. And we're going to go through this a little bit more. But I just want you to know, like, I don't think PJ wanted to be here. And Instagram doesn't always tell us everything that we want to believe, right? And so we'll talk about the Instagram post a little bit more. But I, I want to kind of dive into it and kind of want to go further into this and, and, and start at the beginning. Okay, so at the beginning, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. He didn't really report it. I shouldn't say that. I, I have in my show notes that he reported. He didn't report it. But Jake Fisher, who did a great job uh, for Bleacher Report, who definitely on my radar in terms of NBA reporters because he got a lot of stuff right, was basically going through all the stuff that he heard. Basically emptied out a notebook and said, this is all the stuff I heard. It was a lot about point guards, but at the very end, there were some Bucks nuggets. And it was like, they Bucks hoped to side Bobby Portis, but it's not really realistic. And for P.J. Tucker, they're working towards a two-year, $20 million deal. And you said, okay, it's a little steep, but that's okay. 
you know, bringing Tucker back was really important to what the Bucks were trying to do, and I think everybody was on board. And as it's been explained by the capologists of Bucks Twitter, and to me, which I kind of look dumb on Twitter, I'm not going to lie, I should have probably done a little more research or just texted Eric on the side, they basically had a use it or lose it situation here with this money. That they either use this money or this money doesn't exist. And so because of PJ's Instagram, everybody thinks that the Bucks did not make an offer or the offer they made was at the veteran minimum and was not at the two to 20 level that was expected. Okay, first of all, we do not know if the Bucks made an offer. I said this on Twitter today, so tap, or not so tap, tapping the keg on Twitter. Um, now I'm gonna do that probably forever, uh, but tapping the keg on Twitter. And I said, that, I was like, look, the Bucks need better PR. Like the Bucks need to have that media mafia. Like I was, wa- I was watching the jumps free agency thing in between below deck commercials, and they already were talking about who had a better big three between the Lakers and the Nets. And I'm like, okay, so we just forget about the fucking Bucks. Like, really, shouldn't the topic be who's bit more equipped to handle the Bucks, the Nets or the Lakers? That should have been the question. But I digress. So when I see that, and then I see who's on this program. You have Ramona Shelburne, Dave McMenamin, Kendrick Perkins, who all at some point have a little bit of a LeBron stand to them, where they kind of defend LeBron. McMenamin, a little bit less. Ramona Shelburne, completely in the bag with the Lakers organization. I think she's pretty good friends with Jeannie Buss. She's not even really a reporter at this point. So they had people there ready to kind of spin whatever the Lakers did, okay? The Bucks need that person. And I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Zach Lowe. I don't know if they get in good with Mark Stein or Sam Vecini or I I really don't John Hollinger. Who, who gives a fuck? Like find somebody that where you can kind of twist the storyline into your direction. Maybe it's Shams. I know they've done a lot with Shams. Maybe it's Shams or Shams. Shams, Shams. Shams is more the professional way to say it. But anyways, they need to kind of get that PR spin out there. Because if the spin comes out and Shams is doing a podcast with Simmons or he's on with Pat McAfee and he's like, yeah, what's really interesting is the Bucks offered two for 18 to PJ and he decided to take less money to play for Miami. Now, if that comes out, it completely changes everything. And all these tweets about ownership go away. But if he is pressed and someone asks Shams or someone else and says, what, you know, what kind of offer did you get? Did you hear that they gave PJ Tucker? And they said, well, it was like a one in 10 and PJ decided to take two, take a little less money and do two for 15. Are you going to feel, how does that feel? Right? Do you feel uncomfortable about that? Do you feel like actually that makes more sense to me? A 1 for 10 or a 1 for 12 makes more sense than 2 for 15 because PJ is old. Now, my friend Eric, who EP Nolte, Bucks Twitter, a lot of other shit you'll get from him. But he said, well, you could use it as a trade asset. And I'm like, I guess, but who's who's really going to like care that a 38-year-old PJ Tucker is thrown in there? I don't know, man. 
like I, the more that I think about this, the more that I kind of like let it soak and let it marinate. And as frustrated as I was, and as I know everyone's wringing their hands about the ownership, just you got to understand that A, we don't know the offer. B, are we really wanting to put two years of support behind PJ Tucker, especially when the Bucks, who knows where else they could go into luxury tax? Now, I realize they can't add the tax with the, how the roster stands right now. Like, no matter who they sign, whatever. They are not adding to the tax any further. If they trade Brooke Lopez for somebody, I don't know who that somebody would be, but to say they do trade Brooke Lopez and then they add more money to this already hefty bill, then what are people going to say, right? Like, if people are like, oh, was this the plan all along? And they didn't, they decided not to give PJ Tucker a two for 20. And that's how the Instagram post starts is the Bucks decided to change course because they thought, oh, we have this other opportunity to get a talented player. We have no idea yet. And so that to me is why it's probably better to do a wait and see approach. I understand the frustration of like, yeah, you use it or lose it. And now we have to lump Tucker in with Malcolm Brogdon, which again, that the Brogdon shit, guys, like I... I don't know how many times, and I've said it so many times on this podcast, but no one seems to fucking listen. So maybe someone can clip this, put it on Twitter, and let the people know. Malcolm Brogdon did not want to be in fucking Milwaukee for the last fucking time. He did not like it here. He did not like Coach Bud's system. He had no, he did, there was, the relationship was fractured. And because Malcolm is a good guy, they did him a solid. And if you can't see the writing on the wall and you can't see that, you're a fucking idiot. And I can't believe we still have motherfuckers who talk about Malcolm Brogdon like that he was going to come back because he never was. That was never the plan. He was more of a malcontent than people want to believe. And I don't get it. I never will. But I don't want to hear his name mentioned with the Bucks ever again. Okay, can mention his early part of his career, sure, but I don't want to mention the free agency stuff because it's all garbage. People on Instagram love to give a fake life. They love to give fake stories. They love to sort of portray themselves in a certain light. And you're like, God, they have a perfect life or they have a perfect significant other and all this other shit. And sometimes you don't see the ugly side of it. And now while I don't think the Bucks and Tucker's relationship was ever ugly, it could have been that he thought he was getting two for 20 and the Bucks came and said, you know what, we thought about it a little bit more. We want to offer you one for 10 or we want to offer you one for 12, one for 13, but that's as high as we're going to go. And we're not going to give you a second year. He's like, why aren't you giving me a second year? And it's like, well, we sort of thought you were a little bit old and whatever. And Miami tampering all over all over town is like, we'll give you two years. Why not? Fuck it. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. So yeah, we'll give you two years and and make it happen. And then boom, he's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna play in Miami instead of Milwaukee. And for a guy who said himself that he did not really like this city as much as his Instagram says otherwise, I just have to wonder what's true and what's not. Lastly, on Tucker, what do the Bucks do with Brooklyn? That is a April problem. That's a podcast topic for Mitch and I in April. At this point, 
We do not know a what Brooklyn Brooklyn what Brooklyn's roster is going to look like. We also don't know who's going to be healthy. We also don't know what the Bucks roster is going to look like. And so maybe, just maybe, let's just settle down. It's a little too early to start worrying about that. It will come up, especially if the Bucks lose to the Nets in their first game, which I could bet my bottom dollar that would happen. If the big three comes out, they beat the Bucks' ass, and everyone's like, oh my God, they missed Tucker, yada, yada. It's like, ah, I guess just we got to do a full year sample. Everyone was so mad at Pat Connaughton last year, and then Pat Connaughton was one of the most important players in the playoffs. We were all so mad at the money Pat Connaughton got. Horse is an idiot. Horse doesn't know how to manage the cap. What is he doing with this contract? Then Pat became one of the best players in the playoffs. So maybe, just maybe, holster your hot takes until the dust is settled. Lastly, Semi Ogilvy is a Milwaukee Buck. He comes in on the veteran minimum. That is from Eric Name. So they did not use the mid-level exception on Semi, which is great. That is a lovely move for the Milwaukee Bucks. I like this addition from the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Semi had a weird, uneven kind of career with the Celtics. I think at some points he was in high regard with what Boston did, and then at other points, he really wasn't, and he really was not the the guy who who was sort of the Giannis stopper at one point, remember, and Semi, you know, had a role at times with Brad Stevens and then didn't at others. Um, Last year, he kind of fell off the face of the earth, and so now the Bucs are going to look to try to revive his career. He was a really good defender last year. He did really good job out there on defense as, as a bench player. So I would imagine that the Bucks look at him as a P.J. Tucker replacement. Now, is he going to replace the energy, the attitude, the sort of swagger that Tucker had? No, he can't replace that. But he can at least give the Bucks some quality minutes off the bench and maybe find his role with this Bucks team. Instead of it being harebrained like the Celtics where it was all over the place, if the Bucks commit Semi Ojale to his role, similar with Bobby Portis, how we saw Bobby Portis flourish with the Bucks, why couldn't Semi Ojale be something similar? And maybe the Bucks see an opportunity to have another Portis on this roster just in a little different form. And he can defend. And he can defend, I don't know if he can defend all five positions, but he certainly can defend, you know, two through four. You know, I, I maybe a little slow for guards, but definitely a three. Definitely can bang inside, can get some boards. He just has had some trouble kind of finding what his actual role is with the Celtics. And I think the Bucks are going to help him out with that. And I'm encouraged with this pick. This is a good way to add to your bench to try to replace what you lost with P.J. Tucker, and we will see if Semi Ojale has a more defined role and becomes a real asset for the Bucks bench. I'm also taping this at almost midnight, so if anything breaks overnight or first thing in the morning, I apologize that we missed it. So I just wanted to call it out as a little disclaimer. Probably should put that at the start, not at the end, but that's we don't do things normally here on this podcast. 
All right, let's move on to Orlando Tucker and Greg Gard. One of the wildest stories that we have out there in Wisconsin sports media. I have so many questions about this story. So one of the worst kept secrets of maybe the last couple months is that Orlando Tucker played a large role in the Greg Gard tape getting out. That Tucker had a role in making sure that tape found its way to journalists, that found its way to the State Journal, and that was mostly on the former Badger legend. Jeff Patrikas, who's kind of not a newsbreaker, Jeff is more of a, he drinks the Badger Kool-Aid, he always kind of goes along with the party line. This, to me, did not feel like a party line move. Now, granted, it does paint Greg Gard in a much better light than I think we saw Greg Gard three or four months ago, but it was really researched well. He said he had some editors look at it. I trust that Jeff, being the big J that he is, did a good job with this one. So I said something nice about Jeff Patrikas. If I can do that, I think we all can do something nice for our Tuesday, okay? But with Patrikas, I I think the report was really fascinating and enthralling that Tucker takes over this job for Howard Moore, who got into a very serious car crash that where he lost his wife and lost his daughter, and Moore could obviously not coach the Badgers. So Tucker, being a friend of Moore, goes from being the kind of team engagement uh, representative, kind of a bullshit role, kind of something they do for former athletes, former greats, to keep them employed, to give them a little bit back to the university. And Tucker got power hungry suddenly, really quick. And at one point, as the Badgers struggled right before COVID hit, Tucker went to Greg Gard and said, or no, I'm sorry, not Craig Gard, Barry Alvarez, of all people, and said that he should be the new head coach and that Greg Gard should be fired. And he had a problem with Greg Gard then. Now, whether Barry Alvarez let this be known to Gard that, hey, Tucker came to me and said this, I, I kind of think he didn't, or Alvarez thought it was so ridiculous that he shrugged it off and that he was like, I don't know what Orlando's doing here man i think he's just frustrated he's a young coach he thinks he can do better i'm gonna let this slide and just ignore that this ever happened so maybe he ignored it which was not was kind of to the detriment of greg gard now the badgers reel a bunch of wins off if you talk to any badger fan or really more of a homer would tell you that the badgers were going to win the 2020 ncaa tournament that's here and are there we will never know so then you have the following year and the seniors are kind of out on Greg Gard. And it seemed like Tucker played a large role in making sure that the seniors were sort of disconnected from their coach and fed them information that was probably falsified and not true and sort of worked them against Greg Gard and hoped to kind of create this coup of basically the players revolting against their coach. Now, this didn't really happen. You know, obviously the tapes happened and the Badgers were as dysfunctional and as sort of dead in their eyes as I've ever seen them, really, honestly. It was a really weird year. And I always mentioned the body language looked strange with that team. And now we kind of, we knew the body language was after the tapes, but now we even know more, right? We know that Tucker 
had a lot to do with that. And so then, it, it, and you think, okay, this ends, right? Like, this is over, all right? This is finally hit its finish line. We are there. No, because before this leaks, Rebecca Blank names Tucker to the search committee to find a new AD. So no one knows that this guy is a complete delusional motherfucker in the Badger hierarchy with King Barry, with Blank. None of them knew it. None of them had a one iota of a speculation that, hey, maybe this guy's a psycho. So they put him on the board and he pushes like hell to get a former AD from Northern Illinois or he's the current AD uh, because Sean Frazier is his name, because Sean was a former Badgers worker who had a relationship with Tucker. And according to Tucker, according to sources, not Tucker himself, that if Frazier got the job as AD, he would have replaced guard with Tucker. And that was PJ's, or PJ, a lot of Tuckers today. It's a popular day for Tucker. Uh, but Alando said like, all right, this is now, this will be how I become a head coach. The, the fact that he had the goal to think that he could be a head coach with basically no experience is hilarious. Like, what does this guy think he is? Like Steve Nash? This doesn't just happen overnight. Or thinks he's Juwan Howard. Although Juwan Howard coached a bunch in the NBA. Uh, think, I'm trying to think of other examples. Penny Hardaway, I guess, would be the other example. But Tucker is not that revered. I'm sorry, he isn't. I think a lot of people before this like Tucker and Doe Tuck and whatever. But I don't think he was ever in that like echelon of Wisconsin legends. Because he never really made it happen in the tournament. I would argue that Sam Decker, Frank Kaminsky, those guys will always be more revered than Alondra Tucker. I would also argue that, I'm trying to think of other examples like, of guys that would probably be more, I, Devin Harris, right? Like if Devin Harris, I, this is a random example, but like say the Badgers needed a head coach and Devin Harris wanted to get into coaching, Devin Harris would probably be a guy that you'd consider because A, he was in the NBA for 16 years. He was a top pick in college. He doesn't really do a lot with Wisconsin. But still, I think that's an easier choice. Or what about Michael Finley, right? Michael Finley's in the Dallas front office right now. What if Michael Finley decided he wanted to be a coach? And the, the Badgers had a spot open. They would look for that. And so Tucker now is gone. And they replaced him with Sharif Chambliss, a former Badger who's coached the last five years at Wright State and guard has had nothing but really good things to say about him. And also they've let go anyone that was kind of in the Tucker camp. Joe Krabinoff got a little shrapnel on that. A lot of Krabinoff fans, that's a tough one for Wally Walkershaw to swallow, but he, he was included in that. So there were people that were trying to revolt against guard. It did not work. Greg Guard should be very happy that this is all behind him, that he can just do basketball again. It makes me feel a little different about Greg Gard, I'll be honest, just because I, I think that this guy went through a lot of shit with COVID, with the Bo Ryan just departure in the middle of the season because he was banging somebody he wasn't supposed to. 
um, and now this. He's been through a lot. And I think Greg Gard would love to have just a normal fucking season as they rebuilt. I think that this would lessen the hot seat on Greg Gard. I still don't think Greg Gard's seat is really that warm. It only becomes warm if the guys that he's brought in, it's a pretty talented class, one of the more talented classes for Wisconsin of late, if he brings them in and they absolutely suck and they're just not good for three years. I think by year three, I think then it's like, all right, we get, we got to make a move here because it's just obviously not working. Next year, I think it's a free-for-all. It's kind of a house money year for both Marquette and Wisconsin. That's why the game between those two will be very weird uh, in early December. But yes, in closing, Guard probably got a raw deal and now he gets to push the reset button. Hopefully fans will allow to do the same. I will say he needs to be a little more self-aware. You can't have a bunch of foxes running in your head house. And this is what he did. And I understand that Tucker was brought in in you know special circumstances, but not being able to stif- sniff this out is a little naive and a little bit of the good old you know cu- country blumpkin a little bit with guard. He's ha- he has to be smarter on that. But I think he's probably learned his lesson. And for Orlando Tucker, I, I really don't know what the end game is for him. He's probably never going to be a coach in basketball. Maybe in high school he will. But he's never going to be a college coach, and he's probably never really going to be associated with Wisconsin. It's an all-time bad move, and it shows you just what can happen when people get power hungry. Lastly, let's talk about the Brewers. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers had a nice win today, 6-2. to two. Really big game from Eduardo Escobar, who came through with a three-run homer that sort of broke this game open. He also had an RBI triple. He had two walks. A very, very good game for Eduardo Escobar. He has already made his impact felt with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's only been four games. And yet, I think everybody's all in on Eduardo Escobar. And you can kind of see why. His homer was an absolute missile today. And just a very impressive uh, AmFam debut for the Brewers' third baseman. And I am all for what Escobar can bring to this team because it's clear that this offense is not going to miss a beat. And as mentioned by so many, and we're going to sound like a broken record, if they can get anything from Christian Yelich, it's it's going to be on. It's on. I think it's on already. But if you add Yelich to the mix, look the fuck out. But the real topic with the Brewers, speaking of Yelich, is their COVID issues. So Yelich went down with a COVID thing, I think right before the Brave series, or was it the the Pirates? I think it was the Pirates. So he should be coming back pretty soon if he's been able to beat the symptoms. He should be back for the Giants series. That is good. What is bad is Josh Hader is down now for 10 days, starting on August the 2nd. He will miss the Giants series. He will also miss this Pirates series and the Cubs. Not really worried about the Pirates and Cubs, if we're being honest. I am worried about the Giants not having Josh Hader. It just throws your bullpen off. Uh, not you don't you just don't have the same guys in the same situations. Now I brought John Axford in. It's a nice story. He hurt his elbow. I have no idea uh, what that could be, um, but I'm really praying it's nothing too serious for 
uh, John Axford because that would be an ultimate bummer if John Axford actually did get really hurt with his elbow because that would that just man that's not fair. That baseball is so cruel if that were if that were to be the case. But yes, John Axford uh, back with the Brewers, which is a great story. Unfortunately, he didn't really get the fairy tale ending I think that he wanted. But yeah, they they have to figure out what's going on with COVID. They've had so many guys with COVID. They need to at least figure out, make sure, A, how's our testing? Are we doing testing the right way? Should we be looking at some other version of the testing just to make sure that we're not missing anything, that something's not going wrong here? Um, do we need to talk about sanitation? Do we need to talk about interactions? Do we need to start wearing masks in the clubhouse because we have some that are unvaccinated? What, what do we do here? Because that, and also too, and the Brewers won't give this information out because it's HIPAA, as uh, Dak Prescott said, who's vaccinated and who isn't. I know the Brewers are past the 85% threshold. If you remember, people were in masks until they got to there. The Brewers got to take off their masks before like mask mandates ended for, for the sport and they got to 85%. So the Brewers are pretty well vaccinated. So did they just have one guy who was not vaccinated, kind of spread the Delta variant around the team. I guess that that is very possible. And it was right after they went to the Bucks game, which you can't you kind of can tie two and two together and say, okay, so that played a potential role in the in this whole COVID domino. So hopefully the Brewers are over. Hopefully this is the last of the COVID cases because i don't know how many more i can take where it's like oh hey another day another guy's going on the dl we've had like three or four in the last two or three days it's annoying now granted you are playing a pretty easy schedule in the next 12 next 10 days but still i don't want to take any chances all right like yes i know we have the pirates two more times in the next two weeks and i know we play the cubs and yes the giants are there for three but that's it other than that it's smooth sailing but still Let's let's just end the COVID stuff, can we? All right. That will do it for our show. Um, we will be back tomorrow. We'll talk about anything more from free agency that comes out. I saw George Hill's getting waived by Philadelphia. Interesting, but I don't think George Hill is planning to come back because the Milwaukee-George Hill relationship kind of fizzled with some of the protest stuff and everything else that went in there. But who knows? Maybe, maybe they could convince George to uh, come on back and, and win a championship. We'll see. All right, that'll do us do it for the show. Back tomorrow uh, with another daily tap, and then tapping the keg on Thursday. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.